0: This is Shirley Smith with Bridge the Gap, and today we are talking about a subject that is coming up all over the place. We keep hearing the word privilege. So what do we mean by privilege? Let's look at a definition of it. It's a theory of special advantage or entitlement used to one's own benefit or to the detriment of others. And so let's talk about privilege today. This is something that is really causing gaps within our society so we like here at bridge the gap we like to discuss topics that we believe can actually be as long as we make people aware of the issues that somehow we can bridge those gaps eventually and build relationships so stay tuned i think you will find this one very exciting we have a list of peggy mcintosh white privileges okay see you in a second hello this is shirley smith with bridge the gap and today we're discussing gaps within privileges for among the various cast members in the united states and so we're looking specifically at what is labeled as white privileges and this label was given to this list of 50 items by Peggy McIntosh. Peggy McIntosh is a senior research scientist of the Wellesley Center for Women, and she's also the founder of the National SEED, and that's spelled S-E-E-D, Project on Inclusive Curriculum. She has actually responsible for a number of articles and research on privileged systems. So she's been looking at this for years, as to these are areas where there's a big gap in our society where there are some people that have what we will term white privileges that others just do not have. And and more specifically, we will address the issues as it relates to the African American uh, or the the lower caste system within the United States. So there are 50 items. that she has actually come up with, which is a large list. And so what I've tried to do is break it down into four areas. I will list those um, privileges that she she says their children, the children of the white uh, privilege has certain rights and privileges, and then also where the white voice is heard greater than, say, the voice of a minority or an African American. And then there's just normal things, things that are just privileges that are just normal for the white race that is not normal for African Americans and others. And then there is just a normal way of living, doing life uh, that is not normal for everyone, but normal for the privileged. So we will take a look at these in, in this those four segments. Uh, so the, if we look at... What is normal living in America for the upper caste or white privilege that those things that are beneficial to the upper caste system? It is the first one she mentioned, and she says she can arrange being white. She can arrange to be in the company of people of her race most of the time, and that's here in the United States, and there's a good reason for that because... As far as African Americans are concerned, we are only 13% of America's population. And more specifically in the state of California, because that's where I reside, uh, we're only 5.8% of the population. So we're a very small portion of the population in California. And so if you look at California for white race, then it's 59, almost 60%, white and then 14.7 almost 15% Asian and then less than 1% Native American. So this is important. So when she says that one of the privileges of being white in America is number one, uh, that there are fewer number one of African Americans. uh, And then on top of that, there are enough within the white circle that she does not necessarily have to go outside the white circle to get anything done. And so the other second thing she mentions is that she can actually avoid spending time with people that she has been trained to mistrust because there are enough people in our circle that she can actually avoid those that she wants to avoid. And this would account for the knowledge gap about African Americans in America because if you do not have to deal with someone, you basically know nothing about them. For example, if you have, say, a neighbor on the street, two streets over from you who is having a family reunion, you don't know that they're doing that because, number one, you don't know them, and number two, you don't know what their schedule is. So this is, was a blind side. Uh, in America when we started having Black Lives Matters protests because there were many people uh, in the upper caste that just did not have to know, <laughs> you know, what issues uh, there were within the African-American race or within other minorities. They did not necessarily have to know the struggle that we had for voting uh the struggle that we have for jobs the gaps that exist within corporate america and any other place it was just not something that was known or there was no need to know it and then the third thing she mentions here is that she says she can actually move about or relocate within the united states with ease so that's whether she's renting or purchasing housing because she can typically afford a place to stay without an issue. And so that's interesting because if we talk about ownership within the African-American uh, caste the system, the lower caste system where African-Americans are basically listed, uh, home ownership for us is typically less than 47%. So 47% of of African Americans or less actually own homes, whereas about 76% of all whites in America own their own home. And then when we look at, um, say, native um, Hawaiians and Pacific Islanders, about 61% own their own homes. And when you look at Hispanics, about 51% own their own homes. And so still African Americans, even though we've been in the country for almost 400 years or so, uh, we still are having a challenge in that area because of discrimination and because of charge of higher interest rates uh, for African Americans and just different things that actually happen uh, that prevents a lot of home ownership, job loss and so forth. And then also the next thing she lists under just normal living for the privilege is that you're pr- she's pretty sure that whatever neighborhood she does relocate to, her neighbors are going to either be neutral or very pleasant to her, which is not necessarily true for African Americans depending upon what neighborhood they move into. Some other normal uh, white privileges is one is that uh, when she goes shopping, uh, Peggy McIntosh says that when she goes shopping, she never has to fear that someone is going to follow her around in the store or harass her. The other thing is that when she's watching television or reading the newspaper uh, or looking at the front page of a magazine, it is not unusual to see someone that looks like her. In every one of those uh, media areas and then she mentions that when when national heritage and civilization is spoken about in history or on TV typically her people are mentioned or it's a privilege for the white race that they're always mentioned she goes on to say other just normal privileges is that she can actually remain oblivious to different languages other than English because the custom is, is to speak English, and that's actually regardless of whether she's just within the United States and speaking to uh, multiple cultures of people, or whether she is outside the United States. To speak English language, she can just be oblivious that there are a people who need to hear uh, their voice or hear in their language globally. Uh, another normal thing for white privilege is that it is very easy to buy posters, postcards, picture books, greeting cards, dolls, toys, children magazines. All of these uh, things will feature the white race. As well, uh, when she goes home for most meetings or organizations, uh, she never feels isolated, or left out, or out of place, or outnumbered, or unheard, or neither is she fearing uh, distance, making a distance between her and the next person, because typically those people look like her. She goes on to say that there is an argument, if there is an argument with a colleague, or about race, she is never feeling as though she's going to lose that argument Uh, the chances for advancement within an organization uh, are not jeopardized because there is an argument over race or race issues within a corporate office uh, because typically uh, the argument can happen but there's no repercussions to her Uh, normal privileges, (laughs) white privileges that um, other minorities, African Americans and other minorities do not enjoy, uh, is some very personal ones. Things like uh, your body shape and even body odor. That is not reflected upon the entire race uh, if you are white. The other thing that's a little bit more personal is that as a white person she's saying she can worry about racism without being accused of being self-interested or self-seeking as well she can take a job with an affirmative action employer without the other co-workers implying that she only got the job because of her race another normal privilege that's enjoyed by uh, the white race is that in one week, one day, one year, if she's having a bad time, that is not associated with racial overtones or situations or episodes. So she could just be having a bad day, week, or year, but it has nothing to do with race. Uh, And then also, just as normal privilege is that she says she's pretty sure of finding people who would be willing to talk with her and advise her on her next steps professionally. So in other words, one of the ways to bridge the gap there would be to have mentoring programs for anyone that is wanting to move up in a corporation or a government agency, but have mentors available for people to actually learn how to move up quickly. So that's one of the ways to bridge the gap in that situation. She also mentions that she can think over many options like social, political, imaginative, or professional without asking whether a person of a race would be accepted or allowed to do what she wants to do. So in other words, uh, there are many areas that she can look into as potential options where she can work, whereas African-Americans have to sometimes see whether or not, okay, is this going to be, am I going to be accepted in this area? Uh, Other normal privileges, she said, I can be late to a meeting without having the lateness to reflect on her entire race. She can choose public uh, public accommodations without fearing that people of her race cannot get in or will be mistreated should they do get into these places as well she said she could be sure that if she needed legal or medical help that her race will not work against her so Another normal thing that's a normal privilege is I can, she says, I can arrange my activities so that I will never have to experience feelings of rejection um, owing to my race. McIntosh continues with more normal privileges. Uh, She said, I can arrange my activities so that I will never have to experience feelings of rejection. I can have a low credibility as a leader, and I can be sure that my race is not the problem. Uh, and then she goes on to say "As I can expect uh, figurative language and imaginary in all of the arts to testify to experience of her race. She can choose um, blemish cover or, uh, or bandages in her flesh color. And then also, she can travel alone or with her spouse without expecting embarrassment or hostility in any way. As well, she can feel welcomed and she feels very normal in the usual walks through public life, institutional life, or social life. She just feels welcome wherever she goes. McIntosh now has listed some things that are just normal white privileges that she enjoys every day. Now we're going to list some of the normal privileges that her children enjoys every day, simply because they're white. So the first one that she mentions, she says, I can be sure that my children will be given circular materials that testify to the existence of their race. As well, I can go into a music shop and count on finding the music of my race represented into, and into a supermarket and find the staple foods which fit with her cultural traditions into the hairdresser shops and find someone who can cut her hair. As well for her children and for herself uh, she said I can easily find academic courses and institutions which give attention only to people of my race and my children are given texts and classes which implicitly support our kind of family unit and do not turn them against my choice of domestic partnership. So these are all things that are just normal for her children and for the children of the white that are privileged. I can arrange to protect my children most of the time from people who might not like them. I do not have to educate my children to be aware of systemic racism for their own daily physical protection. I can be pretty sure that my children's teachers and employers will tolerate them if they fit school and uh, workplace norms. My chief worries about them do not concern others' attitudes toward their race. Now we are reading many in our Race and Reconciliation Book Club we're reading many um, scholarly books uh, that actually talks about the voice of minorities and African Americans are just not heard or respected as much as say the white voice. So Macintosh goes on to list a number of ways that the white voice is heard above uh, the minority voice. So she said, if I want to, I can be pretty sure of finding a publisher for this piece on white privilege. She also says, I can be pretty sure of having my voice heard in a group in which I am the only member of my race. And then also, I can be casual about whether or not to listen to another person's voice in a group in which he or she is the only member of his or her race. I can talk with my mouth full and not have people put this down to my color. I can swear or dress in secondhand clothes or not answer letters without having people attribute these choices to the bad morals, the poverty, or the illiteracy of my race. I can speak in public to a powerful male group without putting my race on trial. I can do well in a challenging situation without being called a credit to my race. I am never asked to speak for all the people of my racial group. I can criticize our government and talk about how much I fear its policies and behavior without being seen as a cultural outsider. As a matter of fact, we just had a good proof of that with the attack on the Capitol in Washington on January 6th. As a matter of fact, the damage that was done to the Capitol is estimated to be about $30 million. And, yes, there were some people arrested, but there were thousands of people there. And thousands of people were not arrested, but we did have a few of the leaders who were arrested. Now, whether or not they will actually all go to trial, those that were arrested, we don't have that information yet, but we do know that some have already been released. She goes on to say, I can be pretty sure that if I asked to talk to the person in charge, I will be facing a person of my race. So these are all things that she has mentioned that her voice, because she has white privilege, can be heard and respected, and people will actually do something based upon her voice. So the next group that we will talk about is ways that the white privilege, uh, the white privileges can actually be swayed or can fill the gap between lack of privileges with African American groups and other minorities. As we complete this Macintosh list of privileges that are unique to the white race, uh, we will also talk about ways that uh, we can help each other and how we can bridge that gap where there is privileges and benefits for the upper caste and, and barely no <laughs> benefits and privileges for the lower caste and those in between the low and the high caste. And so she talks about, uh, she says here, if a traffic cop pulls me over, or if the IRS audits my tax return, I can be sure I haven't been singled out because of my race. And so, in this area, if you are one who is working for the IRS, or one who's working for the policing department, then perhaps you should think again before you pull someone over, before you decide to audit someone's taxes, when you know for sure that it appears that minorities are targeted in both of these areas. The other thing she says is, I can be pretty sure that I, if I argue for the promotion of a person of another race or a program centering on race, this is not likely to cost me heavily within my present setting, even if my colleagues disagree with me. So in other words, one way to bridge that gap is to speak up for minorities uh, that you may work with or that may be in organizations that you are a part of because your voice will be respected and heard and it will be another way of bridging the gap with what's going on in your particular department or organization or agency. She says also, if I declare there is a racial issue at hand or there isn't a racial issue at hand, my race will lend me more credibility for either position than a person of color will have. So again, if you see this is happening in organizations and environments where you are, that someone, just say, a minority speaks up and says there is a race problem here. But if the white voice is not heard in agreement, then there could be chances that nothing absolutely nothing is done there and so one way to bridge the gap in those areas is to speak up this would be an opportunity for a white voice to speak up as to this is something that I have noticed as well and I think we need to consider how can we make this situation better Another privilege she mentions for the white race is, I can choose to ignore developments in minority writing and minority activist programs or disparage them or learn from them or, (laughs) but in any case, I can find ways to be more or less protected from negative consequences of any of these choices. So again, uh, minority writings, One of the things that uh, we know for sure uh, within our academic environments, the black authors' voices are not always allowed as part of the curriculum, required curriculum within the schools. I'm seeing a little bit more of that in some universities, but not all universities and seminaries. And so this is an opportunity again for the white voice to speak up and mention various authors. Uh, For example, one of the authors that I really like a lot who has really brought a lot of attention to issues that we have with uh, not hearing the minority voice or the lower caste voice is one cast of The Origins of Our Discontents by Isabel Wickerson as well Dr. Willie Jennings with The Christian Imagination uh, also, with uh, Breaking Rank, and this is by Norm Stampler when he's talking about policing and issues that we just do not address. White Fragility also addresses this, that uh, the black voice is not heard as loudly. Dying of Whiteness is another book. Uh, this is by Jonathan Metzel that also addresses a similar issue of the black voice or the minority voice not being respected or heard okay then going back to Macintosh list she says my culture gives me little fear about ignoring the perspectives and powers of people of other races Uh, so again listen to various perspectives from various voices and if you see that the voices are not being respected or their perspectives are not being heard then chime in the white voice can actually chime in and help bridge that particular gap Uh, the last thing that she mentions is this she says i can take a job with an affirmative action employer without having my co-workers on the job suspect that i got it because of my race now this is a good one and we talked a little bit about that earlier in that we make assumptions and there's various myths about affirmative action that if it exists on in a particular program agency or corporation that it is benefiting necessarily the African Americans or other minorities and that's not necessarily true but we do know definitely that if we're looking at affirmative action uh rules and let's just say processes within a particular organization, that can actually spread over any number of minorities, not just African-Americans, and it will spread over women, which could be women of all races and white women. And so we do know that uh, many jobs that are filled under the affirmative action title actually may be filled by white women as opposed to women of color. So this is an excellent list. I think for those of you who, because I hear often in various groups and small groups that I have an opportunity to participate with, I hear often that people say, I would like to help. I have a white voice and I would like to help, but I don't know how to help. So in some cases, you may want to consider what can you do with your senator, with the governmental bodies that you're part of. Other times you may want to consider how can your voice magnify the minority voice in your organization or agency or corporation, your church? How can your voice magnify the minority voice? Knowing these things, because we list, our our Macintosh has list many areas where the minority voice is not respected. And so since we know that, that's an area that we can certainly help out. I hope that this has all been helpful to you uh, because this is another huge gap that we have uh, where there's so many privileges that are normal for the white race and the upper caste. And these are not at all normal for minorities and specifically African-Americans. you know I really love this article that's uh, it's actually listed in the American Psychological Association and this is the uh, article entitled 10 myths about affirmative action and it's volume 52 issue 4 and it's entitled affirmative action linking research policy and implementation and the statement that it boldly makes is this it says uh, white men have always or traditionally benefited from preferential treatment when it comes to hiring. Uh, There is no, people feel that that's okay. And when you look at our, uh, especially, even if you look at our universities at our professors, most of our professors are men. And in in the case of America, white men. If you look into our church bodies, most of the leaders in church, male. And again, if we're looking at corporations, organizations, whether they're nonprofit or for-profit organizations, typically the leaders uh, in those positions are males and white males. And so it is obvious that white males have always gotten the benefit of being white and placed in leadership. So that's something we don't think about. When we think of affirmative action, we feel that no, it's not right to give preferential treatment to a particular person because of race. But in reality, we have always given preferential treatment to the white male when it comes to hiring in any organization, regardless of where it is. So just wanted to make that point out uh, that I thought this article brings it out beautifully to remind us that this is something has been tradition within America and in many parts of Europe and other parts of the world. Uh, males have always gotten preferential treatment. So I have a thought. Now that you have this information, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to now speak up and use your white voice so that the other voices can be magnified, so that the gaps can be filled in society? Or are you going to see what is happening and say nothing, which basically is indicating indifference to a situation, basically means that you you are confirming that what is going on is okay. So let's speak up so that we can bridge gaps in our society. May God bless your day. Thank you for joining us here at Bridge the Gap. This is Shirley Smith.